Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on dining in bowls, being unnamed on a wedding invitation, personal favors and professional requests, generous hosts serving generous guests, and family who unfortunately make decisions for you. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on travel tipping. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I am Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. We've got tons of stuff coming down the pipeline. We've got your vacation to talk about, your crazy travel to talk about. We've got a knitting update. No, I'm just kidding. That's important. I finished a little blanket. There are two holes in it, knitters, and I don't have great edges but i finished a little baby blanket for my nephew and so congratulations duly impressed cousin over here thank you high fives across the mic i appreciate it um i I do want to just give a quick shout out to our audience our knitting audience has been so welcoming of me to their community and i am just very grateful thank you i have appreciated all of the tips and tricks that you have been sending along with the videos and links to websites that you love dan has been forwarding them to me um, from our social media i'm seeing them come in via the awesome etiquette email address i just really want to thank everyone because it, it is keeping me going you're being embraced. You're being taken into the fold. Yeah, I feel a little weird knitting as summer's like approaching, but it's okay. Dan, can we talk about your vacation? Because you were just like relaying to me the end of the trip, which sounds like crazy air travel. I got pictures of beach babies and the whole Senning clan in Florida. Sun hats and sand and diapers. It was delightful. <laughs> I would be etiquette remiss if I didn't thank my parents who made this trip possible for their kids and their grandkids, and a great time was had by all. So thank you, Mom and Dad. You could send them a handwritten thank you note and walk it down the driveway to their house. I might even have Anisha scrawl her little uh, handwriting signature on the bottom. thumbprint. Okay. (laughs) So how was the trip? The trip was awesome. It It was so much fun. And the thing that's blowing me away now that we're back is how much older Anisha seems. She's been hanging out with her two and four year old cousin. She grew up. She grew up in a week. (laughs) I can't believe it. She like developed leaps and bounds over the course of the week. And it was the thing that I think all of us were so excited about the trip was that all of the grandkids are going to start to spend this dedicated time together. And um, it it was so much fun for me as a parent, and I'm starting to realize how much fun it was for her oldest cousin, Estella Grace, and she's good with her A sound, so Lella, Lella, mm-hmm. and 
both Stella Grace and Dylan are Lella now. So Lella, Lella, Lella. And, <laughs> but the, the personalities of her cousins are starting to emerge in her world. Yeah. And she's trying two-year-old things because she's hanging out with a two-year-old. Oh. And she's trying four-year-old. It's, it's just delightful to watch her grow like that in response <laughs> to her relationship with her cousins growing. I love it. Oh, I love it. Makes you want to have another, doesn't it? Shh. <laughs> My mother calls this age the danger time because it's when you decide you want another child. Child, you're like this is amazing. They react to things. This is so fun. They're so cute, and you haven't quite hit the terrible assertion of self that some people call the terrible twos. <laughs> no, totally, totally. I'm having a lot more fun with my nephew. I've been walking over to Anna's house and having a little bit of like half hour breaks from work to to hang out with my nephew and my sister, and they've been delightful. It's fun seeing them grow. You allude to the challenges, yeah, and. Part of that delightful stage is we're in the high bye phase. So What's she that? oh oh hi and bye. She says hi and bye all the time. So as we're walking down the airport, she's engaging every stranger she sees with highs and byes, first introductions, first hellos, first partings, and just charming the pants off everyone as we go. Our our trip went remarkably smoothly. Yeah. It was um easier than I imagined. As a business traveler, I was part of that group that I used to see coming and I would cringe. <laughs> and <laughs> more recently I've I've found my heart opening and trying to be as helpful I can to that group that I am now a part of, which is traveling with a number of children and requires some some real care. The very last leg of our trip got very seriously delayed by some of the bad weather that happened yeah. on the East Coast. Ice storms and, and such. Yeah. We we're on that that very final leg home, that moment where you're just about ready to celebrate. In fact, you're on the plane about to take off on the uh, flight that's going like to bring you home. Pulled away from the gate and out on the tarmac. And they turn around and bring you back and you spend an extra day. And then it wait, seems wait, like wait, 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 wait. You actually got deplaned and stuff. You were on the and they st- I have never had that happen. That's a new level of I know lots of travelers have, but that's a new level for me of whoa. And I'll spare you the details. That okay. was just the beginning. Oh, oh gosh, really? <laughs> because once things are off, the, that off cascade kind of continues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll share with you one of the happy moments. Okay. That we're waiting for a shuttle to a hotel in the middle of the night, and it's a crowded area, yeah. and a new shuttle pulls in. And as we're gathering our stuff and walking over, there are people who've just arrived who are rushing and jumping in front of us and getting on the shuttle. Oh, so and. Rude. Unaware, so rude. Unaware and so rude. And I found myself in that very awkward situation of saying, could someone please acknowledge that we've been waiting here for 15 minutes and a bunch of people who just arrived just jumped on the shuttle ahead of us while we're gathering up our stroller and child who's melting down. It's the middle of the night. And there were people who gave up their seat on that shuttle so that we could get to the hotel and get to sleep, get the few hours of sleep that we had. And the kindness of strangers made a big, big difference. And there were a number of smaller instances of that. And I wish I could thank everybody for all of them. But I have my own little etiquette salute from a tough travel experience. I wanted to share that also. The driver, as we were leaving, was remarking, sort of saying very out loud to the whole group, there are still good people in this world. I couldn't agree with him more. So even in your moment of just, I mean, just talk about like etiquette following you everywhere you go in your moment of total like crummy, crummy airport travel, delays, frustrations, strollers, not making it onto the next flight, things like that. You ended up with with someone on a loudspeaker. There is there are good people in the world. 
love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to next year's trip already. Oh, that's awesome. We have a show to get to that I'm also looking forward to. Shall we answer some questions? I think we shall. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is about the bowl trend. This question is a voicemail from Brenda. couple questions. I'm kind of redoing my meal plan, and it's sort of plant-based. And I'm, there's a lot of things, just not only in that diet, but others that are in these macro bowls. Everybody is kind of using a bowl now and not a plate. And I'm wondering if it's in a bowl, can you use a spoon? even though you may not always use a spoon with some of those things. like if it's, And if it's all together, can you put two of the same type of things on one spoonful because you like the flavors together, or do you still maintain them eating them separately? And then can you put sauce on that or dip it, or do you have to kind of pour it? I just kind of don't know the etiquette on how to eat with that, and I'm ending up a little bit messy. Thank you so much for all that you do. 
I am so with you on this trend being difficult. So I don't know. Dan, have you seen this, this trend of bowls? You're I've using... seen bowl restaurants. I've seen bowl I... options at my favorite cafes. Like, I've seen sandwiches served in bowls. And I'm like, come on. Like, a little easier than what Brenda is talking about having to deal with. But the interesting thing about having this trend food service is that it's not always based on etiquette and table manners and the easiest way to eat something, but it's based on how it looks to be presented or it might be being presented in the style of the culture that the food comes from. And that may very well be a bowl. I expect a curry to come in a bowl a lot of the time. You know, you want that sauciness to be soaked up. You want to be able to access it in that way. But I don't want a steak or, you know, some other thing that... A sandwich? Yeah, maybe a sandwich. Um, I don't want those things coming in a bowl or anything where I'm really going to have to be cutting elements up because the higher sides of the bowl are forcing you to hold your fork and knife at a steeper angle in order to work within what you've got. Now, it, it just depends on the kind of bowl they're serving it in. But I am with you that this can actually create a very awkward experience for the diner, especially because let's say that you're going after this big piece of carrot, right? And you want to be able to uh, spear the carrot and actually cut it in half in order to eat it. You have less of um, a surface to be pressing the pressure of your fork and knife against in order to get a good cut on that carrot. Now, we're talking about a carrot, and it's probably been cooked, and it's probably fairly soft, but still... This can really be problematic, and I find that restaurants aren't always thinking about the actual functionality of eating something. I would like to say a lot of restaurants do. Let's put that out there. But this bowl thing, I don't think this is as well thought out as people are trending it to be. Well, as so often is the case, it probably starts in a good place where you've got a bowl so that you can throw a whole bunch of yummy goodness in there. And Mix you want to contain good. as much of it as possible. It's essentially a, a, a multi-part salad experience, yeah. but it starts to grow and grow. And next thing you know, you're getting a sandwich in a bowl or yeah. something that really does, as you point out, need to be cut with a knife or fork. And it's not as easy as if it were on a flat surface. As far as how you handle it, yeah. I think you do the best you can. I think it's perfectly fine to use a knife and a fork to cut things up in a bowl. It's not as easy as if it's on a flat plate, but if it comes in great big pieces, you can cut up salad. You can cut up pretty much anything. As far as Building a bite that has multiple parts, I think that's probably part of the idea of oh, bowl yeah. eating. That, that would make sense to me. You're building bites, whether it's spoon or fork, that you think look tasty. And that's probably combining different elements that all come in the bowl. What do you do about the asking for maybe a spoon? Would you switch up your utensils based on what was in that bowl? I'm going to ask for whatever is going to make it the <laughs> easiest for me to get what's in that bowl into my mouth. And do it making as little mess as possible, which was another part of this question that I really appreciated that I think it's OK if that mess is contained within the bowl. Oh, yeah. I think the idea of the bowl is to contain the mess a little bit, particularly if you're going to be mixing multiple parts to the meal. I think keeping that mess contained would be one of my goals, that trying to do anything I could to keep that mess from spilling out onto the table, obviously, or onto me sort of also obviously would be my objectives in choosing utensils and how I approach the meal. I was even thinking there are probably times, because this is new territory, where I might even use my fingers. If that carrot 
that's sitting on the top of the bowl is like a carrot stick or it's kind of sticking up out the side of the, there might be elements of a bowl that are even finger food. Whoa, I hadn't even thought of that cuz. I would ask for a napkin or be sure I took a couple napkins with me if I was at one of the cafes that I'm picturing of that are serving bowls like this. Sure. I'd be sure I grabbed a couple napkins so if I was eating part of that bowl as finger food that I had something to clean my fingers right. on. Because you're right, these happen in all it. different situations. The kind of uh, cafeteria cafe style type uh, self-servicey situation versus an actual fine dining restaurant where this is happening. I'm I'm liking your envisioning bowls in many different places. I even think it's okay to request a plate if you wanted to transfer something so from too. the bowl onto a plate or ask at a restaurant where this might be done for you to ask for them to, to do that as well. There was, I remember at a, a restaurant that my father and I frequent together, they changed the serving ware that they had. And the serving ware were these interesting now bowls that like everything came in and they are low on one side, high on the back side. And there were just some some moments where you knew that they were going to go for serving it in this dish and, and it wasn't going to work for you. And absolutely, I ask for a plate at that restaurant. I say, could you please put this on a plate? It would be wonderful. Thank you. Or when that comes, would it be all right? I know you guys typically use these bowls, but I would love it to come out on just a flat plate if that's possible. Um, And again, you ask the request by asking if it's possible. That way, if for some reason the chef or someone else says, no, it's not, you know, you've given that I understand this might not happen for me thing. I love the food that comes in the bowls. I'm not always (laughs) as big a fan of the bowl. (laughs) Brenda, thank you for this question. It's so much fun to think about new ways to eat and new ways the food is being served. And Lizzie and I both hope that you enjoy your new plant-based diet, whatever vessel it comes in. Well, maybe there are better ways to cut it. But when you eat it in small bits, you can chew it better. It tastes so good, you want to eat every bite. Our next question is titled, Unfriendly Plus Ones. Dear friends, my fiancé received a wedding invitation today addressed to Mr. L and guest from his business associate. Mr. Z and Mr. Z's fiancé are a couple that we have entertained in our home in the past. Because the couple knows us and knows that we are engaged, I was taken aback that my name was not on this invitation. To be honest, I have no real connection with the soon-to-be-wedded and planned to attend just to support my fiancé, but not including my name on the invitation seems unwelcoming. I would appreciate your thoughts. Thank you very much, Ms. M. Ms. M, I want to affirm for you that this does happen, and while it is not what we would suggest when we're talking to hosts about how to address wedding invitations, I really hope that it doesn't leave you feeling so bad that you can't enjoy the wedding. Yeah. That really, I think that hosts should make every effort that they can to address guests by name and that someone who's engaged, someone that lives with their partner, really deserves and warrants that courtesy and that respect. (laughs) Ms. M, I'm totally going to give you the, and we'll use the phrase, venting validation that you are wanting in this moment. This is totally wrong from an etiquette standpoint. They could have handled this a number of different ways. Typically, when you're engaged, and especially when these people have socialized with you and, like, know that you're engaged. In your shared home. Yeah, in your shared home. 
Um, they then are in the position to a know that you have a shared home, and b know that you are engaged. Both of these things would be indications that the proper way to have addressed the invitation, the wedding invitation to you, would have been to list both of your names on that invitation. Your name definitely should have been on it. A lot of couples make this mistake. So I don't want you to think that this was a personalized attack. Um, And it doesn't sound like you're taking it that way, but that this is a very common error. And we hope that more and more people are going to hear advice like this and realize that when it does come to engaged couples, it's important to address them. Um, You treat them like an established couple that they are. And and that you address things to both of them if they were living together. If if you do not live together, then both parties are still invited, but they receive separate invitations at their separate residences. So just to be absolutely 100,000% clear, yes. the correct form would be to use both names on the same line? Yes. Both names on the same line with and to connect them. You're showing that they don't have the same last name. Nowadays, this is a little bit more complex because having them both in that formation could very well indicate a married couple. I mean, if you haven't taken on your spouse's name, then that's it's often how it's perceived. What you don't do, however, is put them on separate lines because that indicates that they are roommates and not together as a couple. Ms. M, it's why we appreciate getting a question like this and getting a chance to address it. Ha, 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 ha. We hope that our reminder that this is not an uncommon mistake makes it easier to put it behind you and enjoy the wedding. Have a great time. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought he wouldn't want to go to a party. Could just been some mix-up. Wait and see. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Our next question is about when a personal favor is really a professional request. I've got a sticky situation, and I could use your help. My mother-in-law has written a book and gave me a draft. Once upon a time, I worked as a writer, and she asked me for feedback. I gave her one or two positive notes, but she has followed up with an email asking for more. I don't feel comfortable giving her feedback. What do I do? Thank you for your time and talent. Trying to be professional. L. Oh, L, what a sticky... I'm just going to flat out say this so depends on both how much you want to be doing any kind of this work anymore. um, Because you did mention that this was once upon a time. Mm -hmm. And then also your relationship with your mother-in-law. I mean, can I just... Like, I'm in the process of writing a book right now. And, like, I just gave sections, like, two and nine to my parents to read. And I... I think I called them three times over the week and was like, can you just not judge the and just I want you to understand this. And you've got to remember the audience that it's for pops. And like, you know, you're just going through all these things. And there's so much there's so much work that you've put into it to get it to a place when you ask someone else to read it. It's absolute torture inviting more criticism or more feedback. And could you imagine for a daughter in law? I mean, what kind of pressure that is? 
knowing where you're at in your life right now, cousin Lizzie, I you know found why this, this question so um, delightful, <laughs> and only because there isn't a mother-in-law involved in yeah. your situation did I know that this didn't come from inside our family. <laughs> And clearly, there are two lines of thought here. There's the line of thought that says, is this even something you want to undertake? Asking someone to give you feedback on a book project is a big deal. Yes, and to me, that's the professional request part of this equation that I get to read a couple books a year that are my pleasure reading, the reading that I get to do because I want to do it. And the idea of undertaking reading a book and giving someone feedback on it sounds like work to me. It's a lot of work. And I think that you're well within all reasonable expectation to say no just because you don't have time or interest in undertaking that type of a project. It's it's a big favor to ask someone. So there's that whole element. response and element. <laughs> and then there's the whole other element of how do you give feedback to someone that you're close to? And when there's been a broad ask and you're not exactly sure how to do it, there's some general ideas about giving feedback that we can share that it's a good idea to question, to ask someone what kind of feedback they're looking for, how they feel about the project, at what stage their editing's at. Are they even ready to go through and make changes if you're going to suggest things? Really questioning someone no matter what kind of feedback they're asking for is a great way to start that feedback process if you decide you're even going to go there. Then a praise, concern, and suggestion framework for how you structure the feedback once you've got an idea of where you want to target it. down and say it again for our listeners because that is such good feedback. Uh, tell me it's a praise. And what's the next one? Concern. Concern. And, and then suggestion. Suggestion. A praise. Concern. Suggestion. I just want to get that in three times. And it sounds like we've got that praise part of the feedback already at play here. Mm -hmm. you, you sort of give someone some general positive thoughts. Let them know what's working. Let them know what you connected with. And that can be enough sometimes to help to open some doors for someone to start to work their way down. If that questioning process has revealed that they are ready for and maybe even looking for some critical feedback as well that opens the door for you to raise some of your concerns. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to call them criticisms or flaws, but the things thoughts. that their thoughts you thought didn't connect with you as well, or maybe that you saw some intent that they didn't then deliver on, or mm -hmm. any something that read to you in a way that you don't think they would want it to be read that way. There are all sorts of concerns that are yeah. valid to raise. This is just too long. This is just too short. This needs more thought. When you're raising concern, having some suggestions in mind so that if those concerns seem to be received well, you can then offer suggestions about some things that you might do to address them. Lengthening this section a little bit might, developing this thought a little more. You've said this once already, trimming it back. And sometimes those suggestions are a good way to frame that concern. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's something that actually follows that concern. So questions about the nature of the feedback followed by a praise, concern, suggestion framework, I think is a good way to actually offer that feedback if it's sought and it's something that you want to do. Absolutely. Normally, I would really want to offer you some sample language for how to completely decline this offer. And every time I start to come up with it, I am having a really hard time with the mother-in-law relationship and not just not knowing the dynamic between these two folks. I just don't know if Elle has the standing, the capacity, the if the relationship is strong enough for her to handle saying, 
no, I don't feel comfortable giving you more feedback on this. I am like the queen of wanting to respect boundaries and people should be able to set limits and things like that. But it is so dependent on your relationship with your mother-in-law. How badly do you not want to give the feedback? Because I'm listening to what Dan... Okay, good. Because I'm listening to what Dan's saying and I'm thinking, boy, even if this was the most difficult relationship, I bet I could find three things or even just two things to tell her that is in that realm of constructive criticism that are suggestions for tightening or for concluding thoughts or finishing thoughts, things like that. I might aim for those low, low level, but helpful type suggestions that aren't so much of a personal, um, boy, I really don't understand why your opinion is this here. Or do you really want to be saying this to an audience that might read this book? I, I mean, it's helpful to warn people about the big things, the glaring errors, but it's really dicey territory. I can feel why you wouldn't want to give any feedback at all, but you know this relationship better than Dan and I do, and you know whether or not you can use your professional skills to be able to satisfy the request for more feedback or whether you really do need to find that way of saying, I so appreciate you turning to me. However, I really don't feel comfortable giving this feedback. I mean, that's your language. That's the honest truth of it, right? It's the uh, you're praising the fact that someone's coming to you and seeking your help and advice, but you're setting that boundary. I'm just saying with a mother-in-law that I just don't know the dynamic here. That could be really, really tough. There are professional options for giving the feedback. There are personal reasons why you might not want to, and that declining is going to feel a little personal. But I think that 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 simple clarity that you just brought to it are what might make it easier to deliver. Yeah. My hope is just it doesn't turn into and now we won't babysit the kids for you. You know what I mean? Or something like that. Well, like favors and families. I'm just saying it's a thing like the the whole banking favors and stuff. Before we leave this question entirely, I have to Uh, excuse us for all of our examples in the literary realm being about nonfiction. It might be about character development. It might be about story choices. But clearly you are hitting close to home with your question. (laughs) And um, I certainly appreciate it and wish you the best of luck handling this dicey situation. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is generous friend, generous guests. And I've got to say, I want to hang out with these folks. Hello, Dan and Lizzie. I am an avid fan of your podcast. I actually look forward to walking the dog just so I can listen to it. Please offer your advice on a good problem to have. My husband and I are finally at the point in our lives where we can host dinner parties of six or eight people. I'm planning one now, and everyone I invite is asking what they can bring. Planning and executing a dinner party meal is a huge pleasure for me. 
It's a challenge and a joy to get the meal just right from salad to dessert. The menu is carefully selected and ingredients searched out at local markets and specialty stores. I prefer to make the complete meal myself as a gift to my guests with no extra work required on their part. However, I don't want to seem ungrateful for my friends' kind offers. Plus, I know that people like to have a part in the event. For the last party, each couple brought an appetizer, my request when they offered to help. It was wonderful not to have to worry about that step. But with three couples invited who were all very generous, it was a bit much and resulted in a lot of cheese! Some have offered to bring wine for this event, and this too is problematic. I would never expect anyone to bring wine for eight. If I accept this offer, do I tell them what we're having so that they can pair a wine? Or should I suggest, oh, we're having salmon, you could bring a Pinot Noir? I've considered asking guests who offer to bring an item to please bring canned goods for our local food pantry. Food insecurity is a big problem in our city and especially a concern of mine. This would be my perfect solution, but I just don't know if it's even right. Help from a big fan with generous friends. Great problem to have, right? And it sounds like you are a very generous host also, which is so nice to hear, particularly when I'm thinking about last week's show, we dealt with questions about hosts that were being perceived as not so generous because they kept asking their guests to do a lot of the hosting. Yes. This is a delightful flip yes. to that question. And it is perfectly okay as a host to say, no, 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 just bring yourselves. It's your company that I'm looking forward to the most. That is a very reasonable and appropriate reply for a host or hostess to give. And as a guest, it is a great thing to hear. No, I am so looking forward to your company. Just bring yourselves. And I am reminded of and grateful for Lizzie Post's discovery of Emily Post herself giving the advice that you don't always need to bring something when you're invited to dinner at someone's home. In fact, it shows a certain intimacy and closeness between everybody who's attending that you could just go and enjoy people's company and be their guest. You can be that person. You can be that friend. You can be that host. So it is it is really okay. There are ways that you can channel people's inclination and desire to help. You can give ideas for things they could bring that aren't necessarily related to the food. This is almost difficult for me to suggest because I, I so don't like board games, but games <laughs> that people could play or bring to play, yeah. bring to play different options for other things that you could do at the dinner party that aren't necessarily food related is something that you could ask a guest to help with. A music mix. Um, you know, boy, I hadn't planned on doing any kind of like uh, uh, decorations or anything. Would you feel comfortable bringing flowers? That might be a good one. It's a little bit. Uh, remember last week we had someone saying, oh, but what? They're just going to decorate their garage? Like, you know, it's a little bit in the vein of, yes, hosts are supposed to handle the decorations and the food. But if the food's all taken care of, what else can we turn to? And I do like the idea of the suggestion of wine. I do think that's an easy one to do because it is something where you can offer a little bit of direction so that it can be paired with the meal. You do not have to ask one person to provide all the wine for the evening. In fact, maybe if you're having three couples, each couple could bring one bottle and then you're providing a bottle or two. And that's a lot of wine for six people or eight people. Um, but it's it'll work, you know. What I would be cautious of doing would be of asking a guest to bring a bottle of wine 
and then not serving that bottle. That bottle is a contribution bottle. It's not a hostess gift bottle. So there's a difference. What makes it a difference? Okay, so the difference is you've asked them to bring it. Okay. <laughs> hey, can you bring that Pinot Noir? And then you don't serve the Pinot Noir, and then you sit, keep the Pinot Noir? Uh-uh-uh-uh. That is not good, good host-guest relationship etiquette. But I would say that if the situation happened where they offered to bring a bottle of wine, and you said, yes, that would be lovely— and then you didn't go through the suggestion of what type of wine to bring. And let's say they bring something really out there that just is not going to pair well with this meal. So you, you don't end up using that bottle of wine. Or maybe just there's enough wine. And so you don't get to that particular bottle that they brought. Because it is what I think of as a contribution bottle, I would offer my guests to take that bottle home. They can then decide if they say, no, keep it as a hostess gift or thank you. That's really nice of you. Any of that would be appropriate, but the trick is that if you do ask someone to bring a bottle, that is a contribution to the meal. It should be considered in that that realm. Interesting, because I had this idea in my mind that if someone brings wine, you don't necessarily have to serve it as a pair. You could it's have true. your own backup bottles, but once you've made that request, it kind of changes the nature of that gift a it's little bit. It's not a hostess gift anymore. Let's think about this idea of a food donation a little bit. Okay. I For some reason, that's ringing to me as something that I would maybe want to keep separate from the dinner party itself. I agree. I, I would handle this in two ways. One, you can always plan events where um, a charitable donation is the goal of the event. And I think that that is a wonderful, wonderful way for smaller groups of friends to be making a wonderful impact on their community together. However... I do think that you want to be careful about doing this with your average dinner party and making it a suggestion as an alternative to folks bringing food for the party itself. Because there is a difference when it's just like we talked about in that other question of um, last week of when someone invites you to something, you really want to be clear about what that invitation is for. And you are inviting guests to a dinner party. You're not inviting them to a charitable dinner party. And I think that's the important distinction there. So I wouldn't suggest it going going as a when folks call to offer to bring something, go to. I would instead have it be a separate type of event that you host and really make a wonderful impact on your community with. I like the idea of having it in mind as a topic for discussion, something I might bring up at the dinner party. Great that this idea. is a problem that I'm aware of. It's a special concern of mine. I'm looking for ways to help and wonder if people here have ideas or thoughts or share these same concerns. And then maybe that's the beginning of an opportunity to also take advantage of what is clearly a pretty special friendship with some people that have generous hearts. From a big fan with generous friends, we hope that this gives you some options to turn to. And we hope that your guests are as grateful for your hosting skills as we are. Well, I guess that takes care of nearly everything. It's all a matter of practice. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a chance to put these rules into practice. A party at Frank's. Our next question is titled, We Get It, But It Hurts. Dear Dan and Lizzie, I have a sticky situation which I'm not sure how to handle. My niece is getting married in June. I have three children, ages 23, 18, and 15. Two of my children, the 23 and 15-year-old, were invited. My son was not. My son has severe mental illness and no longer lives in our home. He's not always well-behaved, and we would most likely have declined on his behalf anyway. 
I know the etiquette rule is that the host sets the invites, and that's the way the cookie crumbles, but I'm feeling hurt that our son was specifically excluded. I don't want to cause a full-out rift in the family, but I feel like if I don't bring it up, it will come out when people, especially my parents-in-law, ask why our son isn't going. I'm a really, really lousy liar. I want one of Dan's 36,000-foot views on this, or at least a sample script from Lizzie on how to proceed. He may no longer live at home, but he is still very much our son and part of the larger family. This is the first child in the family to get married, so there will hopefully be many more celebrations to come. I want to start off on the right foot, sincerely not feeling very festive. This is such a tough scenario because you already mentioned in the beginning, not feeling very festive, that you probably would have declined on his behalf anyway. But that's, to me, the important part of that is that you would have made that conscientious and considerate and respectful and thoughtful choice for your family. And what's happened here is that your extended family has made that choice for you in issuing the invitation the way that they did. I do just want to put out there because we do not know whether the 23-year-old and the 15-year-old live at home. Is it at all possible? I mean, this is me trying to be Pollyanna. Is it at all possible that they sent an invite to your son separately because he does not live at home anymore? That would be my one thing to just check on. And I don't know how you check on that by saying, did you receive an invitation to the wedding? And that's like, because then you're, no, mom, I didn't. Oh, uh uh-oh. Like that, you know, that could have all kinds of awkwardness in it. But maybe, just maybe, in a very hopeful land, there was a separate invite sent directly to him. Um, I just wanted to put that out there. I think that this is really tough and that it's you are you are right to feel hurt. But at the same time, I love the fact that what your focus is on is about making sure that your interaction when people notice that he's not at the event is something that can be considerate and respectful and honest to the situation. And I think that that's important, like you said, for figuring out how this will happen for future family events and large celebrations together. You don't want this couple's MO to be the precedent that gets set for all the rest. What I'm hoping is that you can get to a place where people understand that you're very aware of the behavioral issues that can come up when your son is a part of an event and that you will do your best to help massage them so that it's not an impact on the larger family. Again, we're trying to get the idea out that if both parties are operating from a place of people will do what is right and good and considerate, that you will have it all come out with, you know, like you said, we would have declined on his behalf anyway. It wouldn't have been an issue. But they don't know that and they're nervous about that. I wish people had talked with each other ahead of time. I wish that in future events folks talk. And I do think it's okay for you to bring up the idea of how you want your son to feel included in the family, but that you understand why family members might have reservations about including him. The more honest you can be with them about that reality that you were very willing to take care of on his behalf anyway, I think the better you can have those future events go well. For this one, when you go to that event, I don't think you have to lie. I don't think you have to lie at all. I think you can say he wasn't on the invitation or the four of us were invited or it wasn't possible if you don't want it to be about the actual invitation. It wasn't possible, but he's here in spirit. My first thought is that is a 
awesome etiquette 36,000 foot view of this situation. I think Wait, you did covered, I do your thing? You covered almost <laughs> everything that I would have w- wanted to mention in terms of what I would think of as the, the big perspective view of the situation. I love the idea that that communication ahead of time would have been the thing that you would have most liked to have seen or felt happen. And I don't think that there is any lying necessary. I think that that could be part of your answer. And I, I would even take a try at a sample script option as well that you could reply to a question that came up in a way that didn't even mention that they weren't invited. You could say something like, well, this isn't the best event for him or for our son, but it's so nice to hear you thinking of him. Mm -hmm. He's doing well or whatever it is. That's appropriate. That is appropriate for for you to say in response to that. But you could say – you could acknowledge that it's not the best event or occasion for him to attend, but that – you really do appreciate the the curiosity or the thought or the question, a, if that's the truth. Yeah, and a lot of the times with this, I like with with situations like this where we are worried about someone's behavior and we're worrying about it ahead of time. It's really important to move to the language of can language, not will language. And I mean, it could be a potential problem, not it will be a potential problem. So if this is a concern, bringing it up in that idea of it might happen or it could happen or be problematic as opposed to, well, it will. Um, We see this a lot with substance abuse and folks inviting people with substance abuse. We also see this a lot with family members who might disapprove of a marriage. And the idea is to not pigeonhole the person that they will exhibit bad behavior and ruin the event, but that it could happen So what can we do to be inclusive and supportive on all fronts? I'm also thinking about this question of this wedding being the beginning of what is hopefully going to be a generational development where there are more weddings to come. And I see two ways that you could address the precedent-setting nature of this happening. And one would be when you become aware of the next wedding coming. Maybe it's the announcement or the engagement announcement happens using that word of mouth family grapevine to start to open up this discussion earlier. If there's a way that you can give a clue the next time this is likely to come up, you might be able to open the door to this this discussion or this conversation in a way that works. Another way you could handle this would be to take a small chance mm-hmm. and talk about what happened with your niece or whoever is the person in your niece's family that you're the closest to who was involved in the decision making about the guest list. And because Lizzie did such a good job of doing a 36,000 foot view, I want to just take a shot at a sample script here because this is a really tricky conversation. Wait, before you even say it, I have to say Dan wrote such a perfect sample script. I was so excited. It was it's like ridiculous. We just had to like cut the show for five minutes so I could gush about it. OK, go. <laughs> well, I'm terrible at reading them, but I'm going to give it a shot. Sarah, there's something I was hoping to talk with you about. I understand all the reasons you might not have wanted to invite Jesse to the wedding, but I wanted to let you know if you have concerns in the future about including him or even just wondering about whether it's a good idea. I am always available to talk about it. Oh, so great, Dan. So great. I know that this is a tricky conversation, that talking with someone about a guest list particularly a wedding guest list, is really fraught territory. And 
in some ways I want to take the focus away from that decision right? and really use it as an opportunity to open up other discussions in the family about your son. For the future, I think this is beautiful language. It is. It can get the word out. It can also be language you could turn to as another event comes up. You said that many of the children in the family will be, you know, going through the ages where they're going to be getting married. Those kind of unions are going to be happening. And it's a great way to let the family know, if you have concerns, talk with me and we can figure out if it's the right event or not. Or you can check in with me about how he's doing and where he's at, because that could be something that's changing. And I think it is just, it's such a gentle way. It doesn't judge the other person for having had the concern that you know is a valid concern based on past history. But it also lets them know that talking with you is really the best way to go about it. It's funny, you could choose to go into how it'll make you feel better and feel more included in the family, but you don't actually have to even. the Just the invitation to be available to talk about it lets someone know that would have been the right move and it will be the right move in the future. And it's just beautifully worded, Dan. Not feeling very festive. We certainly understand your feeling and hope that our answer helps a little bit with that and helps moving forward to keep this from happening again. That's how the Millers are using good home management to achieve a happier family life. Do you think they're successful? Looks good to me. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Whitney called in to step us back a moment on a question about a smelly coworker from episode 183 to remind us that the person offended by the odor could take this on as a personal problem. I wanted to offer the perspective that it wasn't clear that multiple people thought the coworker was smelly. Um, the person said that she'd been told about it but hadn't actually smelled it. And so maybe the boss was responding to that. And the person in question might approach the coworker by saying, you know, I'm very sensitive to smell because it could be that this person is more sensitive to smell than others if this person's the only one who's noticed the smelly coworker. So it could be another perspective because the assumption did seem to be made that multiple people had smelled the coworker, but I didn't get that from listening to the letter. And so that's another way to go to say to the coworker, you know, I'm very sensitive to smells and to maybe present it in that way. Yeah, thanks for the podcast. Bye. We are huge fans of not assuming on this show. And Whitney, thank you for helping us not to assume. You could handle this a different way. Whitney, nice catch. Right? Definitely that was a, a perspective that we didn't investigate. And certainly the way the question was asked, it's a possibility that this is just one person and – Particularly if you're a manager or a supervisor, if you're talking about a one-in-one situation, thinking about both sides of that equation is a really important part of the process. Absolutely. Thank you for the sample language and the other suggestion. Our next piece of feedback comes from Gluten-Free with Gratitude. 
On a recent episode, you answered a question from a person working to accommodate someone with dietary restrictions at a church function, I believe. Yes. Lizzie, your comments about habits and rituals of eating with dietary restrictions were so spot on. I learned at almost 30 that I had gluten intolerance. Since then, I've had to relearn how to eat. Nutritionally speaking, of course, but also how to dine amongst company. Lizzie astutely suggested that the person with dietary restrictions may not be as concerned with the food itself, but rather with the experience of eating with others. I would like to affirm that idea. In my profession, many meetings and networking events involve food of some kind. Since being diagnosed with a gluten intolerance, I've been navigating these events by politely asking in advance the organizer or caterer if gluten-free options exist. Most of the time, the host or organizers generously provide a safe option for me when they cannot. I either do not attend or make alternate arrangements. Either way, I almost always have a safe snack in my work bag or purse. This has been a lifesaver, especially when what seems to be a gluten-free option has been compromised, usually through cross-contamination, which is a real and significant threat that I've been trained to detect, but is difficult to spot if you're not consciously looking for it. In those moments, I thank the caterer or host kindly and move on to a pre-prepared plan B. I try not to complicate an event that I know is not about me. Oftentimes, my concern at these events is not that I won't have something to eat, bag snacks for the win. It's that I will not be able to perform the ritual acts of dining in the same way that others are. Sometimes the cadence and motions are quite different depending on what one is eating. Finding a way to elegantly eat breadless sandwich fixings on a plate as opposed to digging into a sandwich I hold in my hands, for instance. Or sometimes it means I finish eating at different times than others do, which can be a little awkward. This usually draws attention to me and sometimes invites people to ask me why I'm eating something different, which is not always a comfortable conversation. Thank you for speaking about dietary restrictions with care, compassion, and concern. Best, gluten-free with gratitude. Gluten-free with gratitude. I'm so glad that the advice we're putting out there is resonating with you and serving you well and that it's feeling like the kind of thing you would want etiquette experts to be saying about allergies and food restrictions and how to handle it. I love that you bring up the comments on how it can change the nature of eating and dining with others, that finishing early, not holding something and bringing it to your mouth, but having those same ingredients on a plate where you're using a fork and knife or creating a salad roll-up as opposed to uh, an actual breaded sandwich, that there are just different mechanisms that can make this different and, and difficult. And someone will see you finish eating early and say, oh, well, did you get enough? Do you need more? And you don't always want to be the center of that conversation. It really reminds me what a subtle social experience sharing food with others is, that that social experience is built out of all kinds of minute and small and um, very sort of physically real things. It, it is about the engagement and the conversation, but it's also about the, the actual way that we share the food. And it is not easy. And I compliment your very sophisticated approach to this whole topic. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is going to stick to the travel theme that we began with our introduction. And it's about tipping and travel. And these are a set of travel tipping tips that come directly from the 
emilypost.com website, and it's our tipping tips. This is the travel section. And I've been thinking a lot about this as I conclude a family vacation where we were really dependent as a large group traveling with kids on the the service industry and on all of the people that are part of the travel experience, whether these are people at the airport or hotels or restaurants or even the the restaurants at the the venues that we were visiting being able to tip well opens doors to service and i wanted to share our travel tipping tips with all of you our first travel tipping tip has to do with the sky cap we recommend tipping $2 for the first bag and $1 per additional bag. I was standing there with my mother after someone had just picked up a cart full of luggage and we're taking it to a rental car van. She looked at me and said, is this about the right amount to tip? I think I got about this much. And I sort of scanned through the pile of bags. And this particular tip worked really well, I felt, to find what was an appropriate amount to tip for a service that really made our travel experience easier. A doorman or a bellhop who is often likely to help you with a bag as well, a similar type of rule applies. If that doorman is hailing you a cab, a simple $1 or $2 tip, maybe a little bit more if it's raining and they're preceding you out into the rain and really saving you added exposure, think about the type of service that's being provided and sort of slide up or down. If it's a really simple service, that dollar range, if it starts to be more of a burden on them and it saves you more, maybe slide up from that 2 to that $3 range. Our next tip is about the housekeeper. This is one that I love to bring up when I'm doing interviews about tipping. It's a place where there's a real opportunity to tip and it keep service that we all really count on and depend on happening and happening well. This is the idea that you leave behind at the end of your stay a dollar or two up to five dollars depending on the place that you're staying per night. You can do it at the end of your stay. You can also do it daily. If you're staying for an extended period of time, it's sometimes true that you're going to have different people mm -hmm. servicing your room from one day to another. So you could do this daily. It really depends. Get a sense or a feel for how the housekeeping service is happening at the place that you're staying for places that are set up for longer term stays where that service isn't happening daily or you know that you're working with one person consistently, a single tip at the end. Sometimes a cruise ship, this yeah, is the Airbnb kind of thing that happens. Airbnb is another or great example Airbnb is another place where it happens. For hotels, really think about doing daily. it daily. A concierge is another person who might Earn a tip at some point along the way, at some point over the course of your stay. If you're just asking questions of the concierge, there is no obligation to tip them. They're there to help. They're there to make your stay more enjoyable. Those can be questions about either the place that you're staying or the town that you're visiting. If they start to provide a service for you where money changes hands, if they help you get tickets to a show or a reservation at a restaurant, then you might think about giving a small tip for them taking that extra step to maybe even use some of the contacts they have mm -hmm. to make that possible for you. Particularly, I'm thinking about a show. Uh, if it's a sold-out show, you might start to drift up into a, a, a really nice tip. and Like $15 or so. Exactly. What about for, like, just the restaurant reservation? Like, for a regular making a restaurant reservation for you, I'd think kind of in that $5 or, or less category. And for a difficult, like, restaurant, I would consider $5 or more, you know, like that 5 to $10 range. I think that's a good way to okay. think about it. And for 
are really expensive tickets. If you're talking about getting to a sold-out sports event or a sold-out Broadway show where the ticket itself is really expensive, a $20 tip that's just uh, compared to the cost of that ticket itself not out of sort the, of realm, the of, realm of possibility yeah, for you yeah. as someone purchasing that ticket, it's a really good way to think about it. 10 to 20% of the ticket price for something that's sold out where someone's really pulled some strings on your behalf isn't completely out of range. The final thought is for someone who gives you a ride. That taxi, taxi driver. driver, 15 to 20% of the fare is the range that you want to think about being in. A version of this question that we sometimes get has to do with the prompts to tip more than that 20%. Oh. Sometimes the suggested tip amounts are 25%. I've even seen 30%. I have too. Don't feel pressured to do that unless you want to. That to me is the the option of tipping for really excellent service. Maybe someone's earned a 25 or 30% tip. If that's what you're feeling inspired to do, by all means, go for it. But something in that 15 to 20% range is where you want to be holding yourself accountable when you think about a tip for a ride. Dan, these are so great to revisit. And having just been through travel ordeal, I am sure they were on your mind while you were caught in moments of, hey, we were planning to go home and just take flight A to flight B to our house. We weren't planning on needing cash on hand to tip the shuttle driver, to tip the, you know, the sky cap who then helped us the next morning at 3.30 in the morning. Like, you get caught in moments where you can't. And sometimes I think it is really great to say, I am so sorry I am caught without cash on me, but I want to thank you so, so much for what you've done. Now, some of these situations, that's not going to be appropriate and they have credit card machines and super easy. But that Skycap or that shuttle driver situation, be really conscious of making sure that you thank these folks for their efforts if you don't have the money to tip them. That is a great final tipping tip. Carry some cash. Think about having some cash on hand. Have it in small denominations. Oftentimes that ATM is going to give you 20s that make it difficult to tip discreetly and well. I couldn't agree more. That genuine warm smile on your face, that thanks that goes along with the tip is a really, really important part of tipping well. Awesome postscript, cuz. Way to go. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have Bridget from Arizona, who is saluting her friend, Doug. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love listening to your podcast and wanted to give a salute to my friend, Doug Mueller of Phoenix, Arizona. I think this one will surprise you. At least it always surprises me, though it happens each and every time I dine with him. And that is that Doug always rises when I leave the table and again when I return. This is such gentlemanly conduct that I felt it deserved a salute, though I know it used to be more commonplace. At least I think so, as I do remember my father and uncles doing the same. My husband, on the other hand, was wondering where Doug was going initially, but got the hang of it and may even be trainable. Can you please expound upon this manner? in hopes that more men will rise when a woman leaves the table? I think it is so polite and lovely. Thanks, Lizzie and Dan. 
Bridget, thank you so much for sharing. It is wonderful to hear of someone truly embracing some of that traditional courtesy and etiquette that we find changes over time, but still has a lot of value in terms of consideration and respect. These small gestures really are infused with meaning. Thank you for sharing, Bridget. Thank you for listening, and thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And don't forget, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter at emilypost.com. Help us out by becoming a sustaining member. You can do so by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.